Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And we're talking about a not great movie today, (laughs) but one that I've been wanting to talk about for a while just because of its uh, similarities to other movies that we've covered so far and its campiness, 2018's Truth or Dare. I will have to say from my scaredy cat perspective, I did enjoy this. Mm -hmm. It's pretty low maintenance. There are some silly campy moments, like Shay said. But yeah, as far as, I don't know, objectively good horror, maybe this one isn't for you. But I do think this is still a delight. And I think it'll be a fun episode. We did watch this together. So we had some laughs. (laughs) And there's a lot to make fun of. And I don't think the concept is that bad. No, I don't either. But we'll get into it. So we'll start with the ladies. First, we have the character of Olivia, who is played by Lucy Hale. Lucy Hale is an American actress and singer known largely for her role as Aria Montgomery in Pretty Little Liars, for which she won many recognition awards for. She's also known for her TV roles in Katie Keene, Ragdoll, Life Sentence, and other movie roles. And fun fact, she made a cameo in Scream 4. I don't remember that. She's one of the opening, like, fake-out kills, remember? (gasps) Yeah! Oh my gosh, there were like seven. There were like seven, but she was in one of them. Then we have Marky, who is played by Violet Bean. She's an American actress known for her TV roles in The Flash, God Friended Me, The Leftovers, and The Resident. And then we have Penny, who is played by Sophia Ali. And I love Sophia Ali. She's an American actress known for her TV roles in Faking It, which we've talked about before with our friend Harper from Haunt. She's also in Grey's Anatomy, which I'm a big fan of Grey's Anatomy, and The Wilds, which is a gay Amazon Prime show that got canceled far too soon, but she plays a fucking hilarious character named Fatten in that, who I fucking love, (laughs) um, which made me love her even more, as well as film roles in India Sweets and Spices, Uncharted, and The Walking Deceased, which is a fun parody of The Walking Dead in Zombieland. (laughs) Wow, what a list. (laughs) But Zombieland is actually a good one that we should cover, that one's a lot of fun. It has Emma Stone in it and Abigail Breslin. Okay. And uh, Woody Harrelson and Jesse Eisenberg. I feel like I've heard a lot about it. It's funny. Okay. It's a, it's a horror comedy. Oh, it's, it's funny. Fun. Okay. Yes, it's All very right. funny. And then we have Giselle, who is played by Aurora Perrineau. She's an American actress known for her film roles in Gem and the Holograms, Equals, Passengers, as well as TV roles in When They See Us, Prodigal Son, and Westworld. And then we have the character of Inez, who is played by Vera Taylor. Some pre-plot trivia, this is directed by Jeff Wadlow. He's known for Kick-Ass 2, a movie called Cry Wolf, which is so 2005 bad horror. I actually don't know if it's from 2005, but it has John Bon Jovi in it. Is that underscore supposed to be in there? Yes. Okay, so it's Cry underscore Wolf. Cry underscore Wolf. Interesting Yes, choice. it's one of those like internet legends take hold in the real world type Ooh. of thing. It's like, I think it's one of those like chain mail messages where it's like, for this to 10 people or you die type situation. I don't know exactly that it's that, but it's in the same vein uh-huh. of that idea. <laughs> and also a movie called Fantasy Island, which was nominated for two Golden Raspberries. <laughs> oh, damn. And if you don't know, a Golden Raspberry is an award for really bad movies. <laughs> Wadlow also wrote for TV shows Bates Motel and The Strain, which is a zombie movie. Wadlow was given the job by Blumhouse, who produced the movie, after pitching nothing but the title and the opening sequence. Wow. So they trusted him. It was written by four people, and it shows. <laughs> Not a lot of congruency here. No, there's a lot of things going in a lot of different directions. 
But despite relatively negative critical reviews, it has a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes, the film grossed $95 million worldwide against a $3.5 million production budget. Wow! It was the third highest grossing film of its opening weekend, getting beat out by a movie called Rampage and a much better horror movie, A Quiet Place. Wow. They came out the same weekend, and they were like neck and neck, apparently. I really remember Lucy Hale being in this had a big part in how well it did at the box office. Everyone wanted to see her. And that's the thing. Lucy Hale does what she can. (laughs) She's doing everything she can with this role. And so is Sophia Ali. And so is Tyler Posey, who plays one of our main hunky boys of Teen Wolf fame. They're all doing what they can. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about the history of Truth or Dare. Stop. There wasn't a lot I could find about it, but this is from the Truth or Dare Wikipedia. (laughs) The game has existed for hundreds of years with at least one variant, questions and commands being attested to as early as 1712, apparently starting as a Christmas game in which a commander bids their subjects to answer a question which is asked. And if the subject refuses or fails to satisfy the commander, they must pay a forfeit or follow a command or have their faces smutted or dirtied. Those 1700s bitches, they're messy. They're getting messy, but the characters in this movie get a little bit more messy. Oh yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> quite the game of truth or dare. Yeah, so let's get into it. Okay, so the film opens, the sequence that got it greenlit by the studio, with a 21 to 22-year-old young woman Stopping at a gas station, seemingly to get some cigarettes, she talks to the attendant behind the counter, and as the clerk turns around to grab a pack of cigarettes, we also see him receive a phone call. He answers the phone and turns to face Giselle and asks, truth or dare, Giselle? Which is really scary. He also has this computer-generated smile on his face, a very (laughs) unnatural look. And she's obviously very frightened. She says she doesn't want to play anymore. But next thing we know, we see her take some lighter fluid, douse the woman who was browsing the aisles next to her, and then light matches and throw them on the puddle next to her and set the woman on fire. She apologizes to the woman saying she had no choice. And then the scene cuts. It cuts to Lucy Hale saying, you do have a choice to build houses during spring break. (laughs) Which I was like, Shay. (laughs) So Lucy Hale, Olivia, our primary character, is a capital G, capital P, good person (laughs) who is a trip leader for a Habitat for Humanity alternative break trip. And if you do not know what an alternative break is, it is a volunteer service trip that college students take part in as opposed to like going and partying their faces off in Cancun. That will be very funny in a second. (laughs) The idea of an alternative break is the alternative to going and partying during your spring break is that you're giving back and doing service and doing all these things. I know much about it because my full-time job for a long time (laughs) was coordinating alternative break programs for college students. So Lucy Hale is a trip leader for a Habitat for Humanity alternative break trip. However, enter her roommate Marky, who wants her to ditch because it's their last chance to have fun before life tears them apart. They're seniors and it's their last spring break. And while Olivia is undeterred, she's like, I signed up for this. This is my responsibility. Her roommate apparently unsigned her up by telling Habitat for Humanity that she had shingles. Oh my gosh, yes. More of their friends appear. We have Penny and her boyfriend Tyson, this guy Brad. They're all being like, come on, come on, come on. 
Finally, Olivia relents. And I just wrote, not one of my trip leaders, because I oversaw a team of these kids. And they did this job day in and day out for like nine fucking months preparing for these trips. You don't just fucking call out (laughs) a trip that you're leading. Absolutely not. But regardless, they all go outside, pack up in the van. We learned that Marky and Lucas, Teen Wolf, are an item. They have gay friend Brad. And then we have Sophia Ali, aka Penny, and her boyfriend Tyson, as well as Olivia. And is Ronnie with them or is Ronnie just there? He meets up with them in Mexico. Okay, he meets up with them in Mexico. But regardless, there's going to be another character, Ronnie, that we meet very soon. And they go en route to Mexico, which is probably like 15 minutes away by how often they go back and forth to Mexico throughout this (laughs) entire fucking movie. Yes. That's like us going to like the Jersey Shore. No, seriously. So we get some very bad spring break Snapchat footage of them on the beach, partying in Mexico, all that kind of stuff. And then finally, we are at a club with not enough extras. (laughs) (laughs) It really does look like somebody's backyard. It looks like somebody's backyard, but they're at a club in Mexico on their last night. So Olivia catches Marky dancing with another guy that's not Lucas, very centrally on the dance floor. Meanwhile, Lucas has his back to Marky, so he can't see what's going on. Olivia ends up dancing up next to her, taking her away and being like, you can't keep doing this. So it's clear that she's done shit like this before. Lucas is oblivious and Olivia is there to cover up for Marky. Suddenly, this is where we run into Ronnie, who goes to college with this group of people, was not invited on the trip with them, but happened to see them at this bar. So now he's in on their group officially. And he tries to hook up with Olivia, but she's not interested. And conveniently, there's this dude named Carter sitting alone mysteriously at an empty tiki bar who stops the drama. And he tells Ronnie off, basically. And so Olivia seems to be kind of impressed with Carter and grateful that she is free of Ronnie. (laughs) And together, they drink margaritas and flirt. Some time has gone by, the bar is about to close, but they don't want the night to end. And Carter has also pitched an idea to Olivia that they go off and hike to this abandoned church or like mission, they call it, (laughs) and basically trespass and just explore the area together as a group. And I was like, again, she's like, no, but they want to go. And again, she thinks Carter is really cute. And I think she kind of wants to see where the night's going to go with him. And for our Degrassi fans in the room, Carter is Declan from Degrassi. He makes out with his own twin. That's so dramatic. Yeah, it is dramatic. I've never seen Degrassi, but I feel like I hear about it once a week. Any young character who is Canadian has been on Degrassi at one point. (laughs) So they arrive at this mission and Olivia is fully in this for the vlog. She's taking her iPhone and like filming all of these things. And in her discoveries, she uncovers some religious or ritualistic symbols and imagery, one of which being a broken pot that she's like rummaging through and trying to see what it is. But eventually, they all end up back in a circle. Ronnie has joined them. Marky and company attempt to ditch, but Carter convinces them all to play Truth or Dare, which they all finally settle in, have some beers, and agree to play. So there's some Truth or Dares that are exchanged. Olivia is truthed. Would she rather kill the entire population of Mexico and everybody in that room lives or kill everybody in the room and the rest of Mexico lives? And Olivia's a, again, capital G, capital P, good person. (laughs) And chooses the humanitarian answer saying, we should all die because why would we kill so many other people? This will come back later. You know, there's some other weird truth or dares exchanged. You know, there's some streaking, there's some lap dancing. Then Marky is truthed. Are you aware that Olivia is in love with your boyfriend? Because it's so obvious. I forget who says this. Tyson. 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 The Mm -hmm. pot stirrer. Mm Mm-hmm. There's arguing, there's some girls kissing, great. (laughs) 
But finally, Carter is asked, what are your intentions with Olivia? And he answers, I needed someone with friends that I could trick into coming with me. I could tell you were a pushover, which made you an easy target. And I brought you up here because I'm okay with strangers dying if that means I get to live. Whoa. And with that, he gets up and walks out. But Olivia goes after him. Carter turns around and tells her that now her and her whole group of friends are in the game and they have to follow the rules. The rules being tell a lie, you die. Fail to do a dare, you die. Refuse to play, you die. So Olivia turns around confused and all of her friends are missing. Then she turns back around to get her bearings and sees all of them standing around her in like a horseshoe position, smiling deviously at her. But then when she turns back around, she sees her real friends coming back into the room. They're all like, that guy was fucking weird. And they leave to head home. And these smiles are like the smiles from Smile. But think about the Snapchat smile <laughs> mm-hmm. filter. Like yes. forever. Well, I guess from 2018, right? Yes. Because it was like a thing back then. Like very exaggerated, very plastic looking, very deep smiles that you would have to digitally enhance to make them look any kind of natural. I don't think it's very scary. I think it's kind of funny. It is. It's goofy. Upon returning home, Olivia starts seeing truth or dare written on things. She sees it scribbled on a desk. She sees it on the back of a flyer. And she also is still feeling some cold, cold ice built up between her and Marky because of the Lucas crush accusation that happened in the mission. She heads into Marky's room, who is also her roommate, to kind of break the ice. She says, you know, I'm not going to let some dumb comment by Tyson get in the way of our friendship. They cheers and drink mojitos together as they study for an exam. Marky also reveals, you know, since my dad took his life, you've been my only family. Which is not only heavy and out of left field, but (laughs) giving us some very needed context of some shit that's going to happen later or become more relevant later. But later, Olivia sees Truth or Dare keyed into the side of her car, which is much more aggressive than the other Truth or Dare sightings she's had. When she turns around to look around, she sees Ronnie is standing nearby talking to a peer, and she accuses him of doing that because he was the only one around who was at the mission to know the whole deal with the game and what happened with Carter. But he looks clueless. He has no idea what she is accusing him of. And Olivia ends up leaving. She goes to look for Marky in the library to tell her what happened and meet up with the rest of her friends. But suddenly she's surrounded by a bunch of other students whose faces morph into that exaggerated grin with red eyes. And they start surrounding Olivia and chanting truth or dare until Olivia finally picks truth. Somebody in the group asks her to reveal what secret her friend is asking her to keep. And Olivia shouts, or maybe not shouts, but says loudly in a quiet library, Marky constantly cheats on Lucas. And guess who are there to hear it? Marky and Lucas. They hear Lucas gets up. He's like, are you serious? And immediately leaves. And then of course, Marky is pissed at Olivia for so randomly shouting that secret to the library. And Olivia tries to like stop Marky to like talk to her. And she's like, next time you touch me, I'll break your hand. Yes. Also, it's important that when somebody is asked truth or dare, only they can see the people and the smiling faces. It's not happening in the waking world. So later that night at the bar, Ronnie is trying and failing to get laid. He is propositioned by the truth or dare demon who's taking the form of a hot girl that he's been trying to court and he picks dare. The face dares him to get on the table and show everyone his pool cue because he had propositioned the girl by teaching her how to play pool. So he gets up and he's about to, but he ends up chickening out. But then we see that his face morphs into the smile 
And he begins to fall off one side of the table and some dude catches him and is like, whoa, man, like, watch out. But then he ends up falling backwards off the other side of the table and breaking his neck on a neighboring pool table. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was, didn't Olivia tell everybody the rules? Maybe not Ronnie. He's not in the circle. He was at the mission, though. Right. Olivia and her friends are back in their apartment. Oh, no, no, no. I guess they're in Brad's apartment. They're in somebody's apartment. I can't tell if they all live together or I not. I think that there's just a house that the girls live in and the boys are always at. Okay. And Olivia's trying to explain herself, what she saw in the library, the truth or dare faces. And all of a sudden, somebody gets the video of Ronnie's death texted to them. So suddenly the conversation stops. Everybody sees the video of Ronnie dying. And Olivia is like further convinced that something horrible is happening. She tries to convince her friends that the game is real because Ronnie refused his dare and then ended up dead. Now Olivia is telling everybody the rules. I think Ronnie's death is really kind of the incentive she needed. Now everybody knows if you tell a lie, you die. If you fail to do a dare, you die. And if you refuse to play, you die. So meanwhile, we see Lucas walking home and he hears a voice bellowing his name and sees Truth or Dare written in graffiti on the wall. And then some like Freddy vs. Jason shit happens (laughs) where like Truth or Dare is then like burned into his arm. It's fucking stupid. (laughs) This is probably one of the dumber sequences. It's so fucking goofy. (laughs) So then Olivia answers a call from Lucas being like, I believe you. And Olivia's like, okay, well, like, answer your question. And Lucas says on the other line, I've had feelings for Olivia since we met. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like to be with her instead of Marky. The graffiti pans to show his prompt, how do you really feel about Olivia or something like that. And I swear this entity is just horny and shipping Lucas and Olivia because half of their fucking prompts have to do with how much they want to fuck each other. Yeah, for real. You wait. You wait to see what some people have to do versus what these two have to do. It's like so unfair. (laughs) So then Olivia pulls up a group photo and it turns out that everyone's turns are based on where they were in the photo and everyone's taking turns. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah, yeah. She shows a group photo of them like in the cave or in the mission or whatever like that. And their turns are based on where they were sitting in the circle, Mm. essentially. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Marky is having none of it, but she is very shortly texted truth or dare. She chooses dare and is texted, I dare you to follow through with your promise. Break Olivia's hand. Olivia's committing to the bit and pulls out a hammer is like, bitch, do it. And she's like, no. But mm-hmm. then like Lucas arrives and is like, you have to do it. You have to do it. Olivia finally pisses Marky off by saying, don't tell me you're a fucking coward like your dad. And then Marky slams her in the hand with the hammer and then runs off crying. And Lucas takes Olivia to the hospital with Brad. While they're at the hospital, Brad goes to the vending machine and he is truth or dared. He gets truth just in time for his dad, who also happens to be a police officer, finds him in the hospital, which is so random and strange, but his dad finds him. Brad is forced to come out to his dad, who previously didn't know that he was gay. But when we see him in the next scene, he reports back to his friends that he came out and his dad was great and he feels pretty great. It happened off camera, first of all, which was lame as fuck. (laughs) And then Lucas says something stupid, like, he should have gotten the hint with how much Beyonce you listen to. And Brad goes, everybody loves Beyonce. And I'm like, bye. Like, I'm just (laughs) done with this, whatever. Him being gay has nothing to do with anything. Anyway, the next morning, Tyson, Penny's boyfriend, is at a med school interview, schmoozing it up. Elsewhere, Brad, Lucas, and Olivia find Penny and tell her, Tyson's next, we need to go find him. So they all go run off to find him. During his interview, Tyson is propositioned truth or dare by his interviewer, and Tyson says truth, 
where he is asked, how long have you been forging prescriptions? Because something that was revealed in the original Truth or Dare game was that Tyson's been selling Adderall prescriptions to underclassmen or something like that. Tyson explodes saying, he doesn't, you're lying. But because he lied, the being overtakes him. He smiles really big and uses a pen to stab himself in the eye and then turn around and slam his head against the wall, jamming the pen further into his face, and he dies. I feel so bad for that interviewer. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was just trying to do her job. (laughs) (laughs) But this happens, unfortunately, like right before the group can get to him. And so they are there in time to hear the ruckus in the room and see blood pull out from under the door. So that's another one that bites the dust. Meanwhile, the group is like, okay, we need to figure out what is going on. They do a generic Google search, Mexico truth or dare. And guess what? They find exactly what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Good for them. They find an article about Giselle from the opening scene, Giselle Hammond. She was a college student who was written about because she set a woman on fire in a gas station. Okay, so we know all about that. But on Giselle's Facebook, they look through pictures and find pictures of Carter, the guy from the mission. So they know each other. Meanwhile, Penny is having a hard time Mm -hmm. because her boyfriend just died and she is starting to drink to cope with her grief. But it's also her turn in the game. She's upstairs in the bathroom away from her friends who are doing the research downstairs when she is propositioned by the bathroom mirror and she picks truth. But the game doesn't let her. Apparently, there is a new rule that she must pick dare. So the game order goes truth, truth, dare. Yeah, you can't play more than two truths in a row. Or if there's two truths in a row, you must do dare as the third. So she picks dare. Then we don't really know what happens after that until Marky finds Penelope on the roof of the house. And we learn that she has been dared to walk around the perimeter of the roof nonstop while she finishes the rest of her bottle of vodka. Obviously, the others are terrified because she's only getting more and more drunk. The roof of the house is very slanted. This is not a flat roof building. So they immediately jump into action. Some of them grab a mattress to try to follow where Penny is on the ground in case she falls to give her some cushion. But Olivia realizes that there's this tall wrought iron fence that if Penny happens to fall in that area, she could be impaled by the fence and the mattress wouldn't do shit. So she ends up getting in her car, driving to run down the fence just in time for Penny to finish the bottle of vodka, stumble and fall, and for her friends to get the mattress on the roof of the car to catch her fall. Yes, so she survives her dare, which is all well and good. Just prior to Penny being on the roof, Marky had made a fake Facebook account to message Giselle threatening her, saying, meet up with us and tell us about the game. Otherwise, I'm going to stand outside of your family's house until they dare me to do something about it. (laughs) Look, I mean, she's determined to get what she needs. And I have to say, I respect it. So Giselle messages back and they end up meeting up. They meet up in an alley and Giselle tells her side of the story. They thought if they got a new group of people to play, it would be passed on and they would be freed of it. But in reality, it just expands the circle of how many times it takes to get back to your turn. So it doesn't change groups. It just adds more player to the same game. And this is where the rules are explained, where the way that they played it was that if two people did truth in a row, the next one had to do a dare, which is why those rules, because they started the original game, are carried on into their friends' game. Also, we learned from Giselle that she had another friend who was present named Sam, and he was causing some problems because while Giselle and her friends were kind of looking around, 
Sam was drunk and running around and smashing a bunch of shit in the mission. And through this conversation, we're kind of learning like, okay, maybe Sam is somebody who disrespected the space, unleashed some kind of supernatural entity. And that's how this game turned into something not quite as fun as the traditional truth or dare. So because everybody in the friend group had gotten a dare, Penny was the last one in line to have a turn, they realized that must mean it's Giselle's turn now. So she pulls out a gun and says, I'm sorry, and goes to shoot Olivia. But in some confusion and scuffle, she ends up shooting Penny instead. Mm-hmm. The smile then takes over Giselle because she failed to do her dare. She did not kill Olivia. She killed somebody else. And then she turns the gun on herself and shoots herself. So now Giselle is dead and Penny is dead. And I remember you and I laughing about this because Penny was speaking so fucking clearly about, what do you mean? This is your game or whatever like that. And like, girl, you're hammered. You just drank a <laughs> of vodka. Yeah, she was so coherent. Like we were just being like, you, you, you fired us into this game. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wouldn't even be I thinking. I just did my turn. <laughs> I'd be like, it's not my turn anymore. <laughs> but no, she was she was crystal clear. Yeah. She, she had liquid IV in her system. She was ready to yeah, go, but now she's, she's a dead. tank. So the cops show up and they try to tell their version of the story. And the cop says, well, listen, all of Giselle's friends have died in the past three weeks. And now your friends are dying. Is there something you want to tell us? But there's nothing really there to hold them. So they let them go, which I'm like, there was still a gun involved. You should still probably be in custody. Meanwhile, Brad's dad picks him up, obviously caught wind that his son was down at the station. So it's just Lucas, Marky, and Olivia now. Olivia goes to grab a charger when she sees an open door in her bedroom. It looks like maybe her bedroom is connected to Marky's bedroom or something with like a little door in the middle. She shuts it, but then it creaks open again in a very spooky way. This time, instead of shutting the door, she peeks inside the room where all of a sudden she's ambushed by a man. And this is the same man. We saw him outside the house earlier. He appears to be maybe a homeless man, but now all of a sudden he's inside the house attacking Olivia. The homeless man was only really there because Olivia gave money to him. And again, is trying to pad Olivia's character very heavily as like, I don't want to do anything wrong. But now that this man is in her house, like she's fighting him and stuff like that. But you could tell the man is possessed by the smile. Like yes. he's trying to proposition her because I guess it's her turn again. Lucas and Marky come up. Lucas is able to chase the man outside. Marky asks Olivia what he said. And he says that she was dared to sleep with Lucas. Yeah. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Penny has to walk the perimeter drinking yep. a fifth of vodka. But it's just like, go fuck that hot guy. What the fuck? Um, this game is not fair to all of its players. No. So Marky storms off because of she's course. obviously pissed. He's like, well, why did you even pick a dare? And Olivia's like, so that you wouldn't have to. So again, just trying to show. Remember, everybody, Olivia is a GP. She's a good <laughs> person. So she tells Lucas that, you know, that's what I told Marky, but that isn't the truth. The reason that she picked dare is because she has something that she can never reveal to Marky and she's afraid the game will make her do it. And I guess that's enough of the foreplay because then they start fucking. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, it's Lucas's turn. And he picks truth. Well, during. <laughs> oh, during. Oh, yeah. Sorry, during. I don't think they reach climax. No. <laughs> she starts choking him out and you start to think that's getting spicy, but then she gets a smile on her face. Mm-hmm. And he picks truth and he is asked to admit who he really loves. And he says he loves Marky and lives. So obviously that's the truth. So Olivia gets up, takes all of the bedding with her. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> like 
<laughs> Which, like, all the sheets, the comforter wraps it around her, like, cape and, like, leaves the room, which I thought was funny. <laughs> Meanwhile, Marky is sitting outside a cafe watching a video of her father from his birthday many years ago. And we saw her watching this video earlier in the film. But this time when she's watching it, her father in the video gets the demonic look on his face and asks her truth or dare. She picks truth and she is asked why she still keeps the gun that her father used to take his life. And she admits it's because she sometimes thinks about using it on herself. Meanwhile, Olivia and Lucas are doing some postcoital research. <laughs> And they find a nun lady and head off to Tijuana. I don't, I forget how they find Inez. I, I don't know why they find her or how they find her. They find like an old newspaper write-up about the mission that they were at. And Inez, there was a murder or a massacre, really. And Inez was the only survivor. And somehow they find her address and they go to Tijuana. And I think it's so funny. They just go to Tijuana. They must be in like southernmost California. Yeah. Because they leave at daylight and they arrive at daylight. So they bang on the door and her granddaughter opens the door and is like, what the fuck are you doing here? They say (laughs) they need to talk to Inez. Granddaughter's like, well, my grandmother hasn't said a word in 50 years, but she might see you. So then she makes them wait outside for an hour. And it turns out the reason they had to wait so long is because Inez doesn't speak. She was writing everything she wanted to say down. So they go in and they sit with Inez and she hands them a letter and she starts giving them some history about the game saying the mission was a convent, but the priests were abusive. All of the nuns suffered in silence, but one of the girls ended up summoning a demon that possessed their game named Calix. Calix ended up possessing a girl, killing the priest, but Calix didn't want to stop playing. He wanted to keep playing with them and many of them ended up dying. The only way that they were able to seal Calix away was by sealing up his spirit in a pot with wax with a sacrifice by the person who released the demon. This is where Olivia notes, oh my god, it was the pot that I saw like kicked open when I was like filming my vlog or whatever. Inez reveals that whoever broke the pot will have to be the new sacrifice. Olivia asks, well, who summoned the demon first? And Inez opens her mouth to reveal that she has no tongue. So Inez was the person who summoned Calix, and it was her tongue that was in the pot. And now that Sam, who was of the previous friend group with Giselle, was the person to release Calix, it has to be Sam to seal Calix back up again. But they need to find him because they have no idea where the heck this man is. And they don't even know if he's still alive because Giselle said most of her friend group had already been killed. So they head to Brad's house. They are determined to find who Sam is. So they're going to do more research, more Google research. But Brad's dad arrives and Brad goes outside to talk to him out on the street. His dad, again, wanted to reiterate that he loves his son. They hadn't really talked after Brad came out at the hospital. But just then it's Brad's turn to go and the game speaks to him through his dad and makes Brad pick Dare. He is dared to grab his father's gun make him kneel and beg for his life. This is such a heartbreaking moment because he's like, dad, I just need you to listen to me. I'm going to do this thing. He takes the gun and he's holding it to his father, but his father isn't begging for his life, which is what he needs to do in order for the dare to be completed. He's saying like, why are you doing this? I didn't mean to hurt you, like all of this. But before the dare can be completed, an officer on the street sees what's happening, thinks it's a holdup or some kind of threat and shoots Brad dead in front of his father. Olivia and Lucas run outside, but they are too late to remedy the situation, and they see Brad die. 
You had screamed this out loud while we were watching it. You're like, what is this game? All dares are not made the same. <laughs> this is, oh yeah, this is what I was like fucking pissed. Like, again, like you said, Olivia gets to have sex with her longtime crush who's super cute. And then Brad has to like hold a gun to his dad. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not right. Mm-mm. So yeah, I think you're right. Calix is a little bit of a freak. Yeah. It's a little horny. <laughs> so now it's Marky, Lucas, and Olivia as the last ones standing. And Olivia is propositioned by Demon Lucas. And she picks Dare, again, thinking that it will prolong the other two and make it so they can both pick truth next. <laughs> the person says, I dare you to tell Marky the secret you speak most. <laughs> Wait, this is so petty. It is petty. And somehow I did not see something like this coming. So she sits Marky down and says, I was there the night your dad died. And she goes on to say that Olivia had gotten into a fight with her parents. Marky wasn't home when she came to her house, but her dad let her in. They ended up having drinks together, which I'm like, how fucking old were you? Her dad was sad about him losing his job recently and Olivia was trying to comfort him, but he ended up coming on to Olivia mm-hmm. in an un- obviously uncomfortable, inappropriate way. She said that she was able to get away from him and he begged her not to tell Marky and that he couldn't ever live with himself if she found out. And Olivia had retorted that he'd be better off dead and that he ended up taking his life later that night. And Marky obviously is very upset by this and storms off. Later, Olivia goes to the police station where she is once again questioned by a detective after they trace the IP address of the fake Facebook account that had contacted Giselle back to Marky's computer when she threatened to stand outside of Giselle's family home until the game dared her to burn them like she did the woman from earlier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she's, you know, her and her friend group are a little bit under fire once again because they Uh keep popping up. Oh! (laughs) 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 Because they keep popping up in this wild, wild investigation. Also, the way Olivia and this detective talk, it's, like, so chill. There was one point I forgot this was a detective. I was like, is this, like, her lawyer or something? Or, like, a family friend who is in the police force or something? Like, she does not seem scared There's no threat. No. There's no legal action being taken. (laughs) No. But the detective does mention Sam, and he shows Olivia a picture of him. And guess what? It's Carter. Mm -hmm. Sam is Carter. Carter is Sam. Meanwhile, Marky is back at home and we can see her in her room holding the gun mentioned earlier in her hand. We can see she's contemplating taking her own life. But Olivia gets home from the police station in time to go to Marky's room and find her and apologize to her, encourage her to put the gun down and say that they can still break the curse. So it seems like there's a last surge of hope and they're going to try to fix this thing together. Well, yes, because Olivia was able to take a picture of Sam's personal information while the detective had his back turned at one point, which then gives them his address. They roll up on Sam's apartment and break in. You could tell that he had like kill-proofed his space. And Olivia's like, listen, we have a way to end it, but we all have to go back to the mission together. Carter doesn't trust them and won't go with them. But Olivia ends up holding him up at gunpoint until he agrees to go with them. And this is... (laughs) You had said, these motherfuckers must live 45 minutes from now. Again, like you had said that out loud at this point. <laughs> well, because they return to the mission. Yes. Okay, so they're in Tijuana. They go to the mission. And they make Sam enter with them and recite the incantation that Inez had written down for them when they visited. And as Sam is reciting this incantation, the mission is starting to crumble and collapse above them. But then it's Lucas's turn to play the game. He is dared to choose to kill either Olivia 
or murky. And he didn't have to say dare. He could have done truth because Olivia did dare. Yeah. Well, I don't know why he would do that. Everyone, Stupid. everyone trying to be the good person. Just don't. Just don't. Because you're making it worse for yourselves. Anyway, he refuses to play. So then he's possessed. Meanwhile, Sam is really slow about cutting out his tongue, which I can't say I blame him. Mm -hmm. As Calix possesses Lucas, he goes after Sam to kill him. Of course, because Calix knows that if Sam does what he seems like he's going to do, then he's going to be put back in a bottle for who knows how long. But he attacks Sam and slits his throat. So Sam is dead, unfortunately. So I don't really know what they're going to do at this point. So then Lucas is still possessed and ends up slitting his own throat because he didn't follow through with his dare of killing Olivia or Marky. Yes. And so then it's just Olivia and Marky left. It's Marky's turn. She is dared to shoot Olivia. There's a struggle. She ends up shooting Olivia in the arm, but the dare is complete because she does shoot Olivia. Well, the whole point was that Olivia told Marky, pick dare and don't do it. And then she ends up doing it anyway, somehow. But the whole idea was that before Marky could ask Olivia, Olivia was going to ask Calix. Oh, while Calix was still inside yes. Marky's The whole point body. was because that was one of the rules too. If you're asked, you're in. Mm. So before Olivia could get asked anything, she quickly asked Calix truth or dare, thinking that she was going to get information on how to end the game because that's what she asks. How do we get out alive? And Calix says that Sam was the only one who could make that happen, and I killed him. So unless they die, meaning Olivia and Marky, because they're the only surviving members of this game, the game will never end. So then... Olivia's not a GP anymore. She's not. And mm -mm. I don't think she ever really was. Because what does she do? She puts her vlog skills to the maximum test, films her explaining the rules of truth or dare within the mission... Texts it out to the world, or I guess posts it on her social media. YouTube, and I guess yeah. YouTube, we know she's already a bit of an influencer. She has a following already. And now everyone around the world is seeing this game. And as we know, if you're asked to play, you're in, which she does in her video. So now the whole world is basically invited to play with this video. And we can only assume it's going to go more and more and more viral the more views it gets. Very much like The Ring. And she even says, because Marky asks, what are you doing? And she says, I'm choosing you. So saves herself and Marky, and then the movie ends with two girls sitting on their bed watching the video, and then one of them gets a morphed face, and we know where that's going to go from there. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Olivia is saying, I'm choosing you. Like, no, you're not. And you even pointed out what she said in the beginning of the film. Right. The whole inverse of, I would kill everybody in this room to save all of Mexico. That's the, like, best thing to do. That's the human thing to do. And now there's literally only two people in the room. And she's one of them. And she's one of them. She was told very plainly that if you two die, the game ends here. But she's like, no, let me invite the entire world in on this so that I don't have to wait till it's my turn for longer. And that's it. The ending to that reminded me very much of... I said the ring. The ring. Yeah. But also... It follows a little bit. Maybe it follows, or maybe even the Green Inferno. There was like kind of like that activism angle in the Green mm -hmm. Inferno. And then at the end, we saw our final girl behave in a way that contradicted her original stances that she stood by, mm -hmm. which Olivia's choices kind of reminded me of hers a little bit. But that's it. That's the movie. It has a very disappointing ending, in my opinion. Yeah. But still something to consider and think about. So yeah, in terms of like post-plot stuff, I couldn't find a lot of things about themes because I just don't think there's that many or that many nuanced things to say about the movie. 
But I was interested in having a discussion on party game horror because we've Mm. done quite a bit of it so far. So if we think about talk to me, bodies, 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 would you rather? There are a lot of different movies that we've covered so far that have party game settings or that whose rules are operating within like something you would do with your friends over drinks or not, all these types of things. So first question being, why are party games great settings for horror movies to happen? Well, I think there's a lot of room for, especially if we're talking about like teenagers or young adults who are sort of new into this independent world of making decisions on their own. I think there's a lot of room for things to go wrong Mm -hmm. with unsupervised kids, especially if there's like alcohol or drugs or those sorts of things involved. And I think in real life, a lot of things often do go wrong, you know, whether it's something is broken or a secret party gets busted or something even worse. So I feel like in real life, those sorts of settings can often lead to not so great circumstances. So I think it naturally lends itself to horror movie content. I was also thinking that horror movies thrive off of rules and lore and party games have very specific rules that very plainly create lore without you having to justify it where it's like, oh, it's just the rules of the game. Yeah, that's so true. You're right, because party games are oftentimes woven into like folklore. And sometimes they're the same, like Bloody Mary, playing Bloody Mary. It's kind of a party game, but at the same time, it's also folklore. Right. That's a really good point. They are like the perfect scaffolding to put in place to make a movie around. I'm thinking too, truth or dare, and especially like, would you rather? A lot of it is theoretical thinking that like, you don't really have to do the things that you're being asked to do most of the time when you're playing these things, especially with would you rather? Like a lot of those things are such unprecedented or unrealistic things that you would ever actually have to choose between. And same with truth or dare, like, the dares are never going to be, you know, kill the person next to you, <laughs> yeah, right? Hopefully. But by these very simple rules, just exaggerating them, it has that supposition where it's like, we've all been in the situation where you're asked to do something uncomfortable or something uncharacteristic of yourself, but like, what would happen if you couldn't say no? Yeah, especially like in those social settings, like fear of what your friends are going to think, or what if you did accidentally spill that secret that you're trying to keep from so-and-so, and what would happen if your friend did know that you have a crush on her boyfriend, right? Like, I think those sorts of fears are already really natural, and these kinds of circumstances hype up those fears. That leads me into the next point. What is it about these games that make them so revelatory or challenging to friendships or relationships? We see relationships fall apart so often in these settings. And granted, like in Would You Rather, they're all strangers like competing for something, right? It's that competition element. Yeah. And they don't have those established relationships with each other. But with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and Talk to Me and this one, it's always presumed that these people are friends or at least some of them have very close relationships. So what is it about the setting of this game that makes it so honest? I think it has to do with the game, but I'm wondering if it's also these horrifying circumstances more so, but then the rules of especially this game, Truth or Dare, that's bringing shit readily into the conflict. So instead of just worrying about staying alive and maybe dealing with that, then you're also dealing with the fact that you're finding out your friend was with your dad the night he died and your friend also has a big crush on your boyfriend. So you're trying to like manage these weird revelations in addition to trying to survive. But that's a really good question. I wonder if there are people out there who really take these kinds of games really seriously. Well, I'm thinking about you, honestly. Really? Well, you're competitive, right? True. And you're like, I would be the last person you want in an escape room with you. Like, right? (laughs) Like, you've said this. Yes, I have. Like, you could... (laughs) Like, I think you're somebody that in a competition setting 
you become the most ferocious part of yourself. Mm -hmm. Like the most, maybe not you specifically, but maybe if you're feeling competitive, like you're feeling like very defensive or you're feeling, you feel like you have a lot to prove and maybe this is just the place for low blows. Oh yeah. I could see myself being, and I like honestly purposely avoid games for that reason because, (laughs) because something about me for sure is that I will care about things that don't matter. Okay, you've always been like that for some reason. But I guess I'm thinking of Truth or Dare. Like Truth or Dare is a game that's really easy not to take seriously. Yeah. But you're right. If I was doing like bodies, 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 or in an escape room, which we haven't done, but I know we've talked about doing, yeah, I might get really intense. So then the last point I had was, what qualities does someone have to employ to win? And I'm thinking specifically about Olivia's heel turn compared to maybe Iris from Would You Rather or B or Sophie from Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Like we see Olivia make almost like a complete character flip-flop in order to employ that level of self-preservation, which we've seen Marky kind of encourage her to do this entire movie. Like she's like, be selfish. Like her entire thing is like, we need to get the information that we can. She's the one who made the fake Facebook account. Like, she's the one who's like, we need to choose each other. We are family. We are this. Like, stop caring so much about what other people think or other people who won't help you. And I'm thinking about that last choice that Iris made at the end of Would You Rather. And I'm thinking about B and Sophie fighting with each other at the end of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Does winning inherently make you selfish yeah i don't know i mean that's the first word that came to my mind is it seems like a trait all of our winners have over these movies is selfishness or self-preservation if you want to spin it positively i mean there is a positive reality to self-preservation but at the same time a lot of times it might come at the expense of somebody else Mm -hmm. like leaving somebody behind if i'm thinking of the descent when juno juno leaves her friend behind when she's still alive but badly injured But also, we're getting into biology here, survival of the fittest, like how much of that is you really making active decisions or like your body reacting Mm -hmm. and your adrenaline kicking in, which I'm sure in these really extreme circumstances, like your adrenaline is doing a lot of talking, especially when you don't have a lot of time to think you're waiting for the next turn to come around. Yeah, so this was fun, right? (laughs) Like, there might not be a lot of big overarching themes to talk about when it comes to this movie, but... Ever since we covered Smile, I've been thinking about this movie more and more. And I think I remembered it being a little bit more fun than it actually was. But I think it's deliciously cheesy and like good to just throw on, you know? I thought so as well. I enjoyed it. And I thought the acting was pretty good. Like you said, specifically Lucy Hale, but I think the other actors as well were doing a lot with what they were given. Despite the storyline being wild and some of the dialogue being very random and out of pocket, I think that they kind of like made it work well enough for this to at least be something to enjoy watching. And again, to kind of think about what is this movie trying to say about friendships, what are friendships like in these extreme circumstances, and how come, and again, I love your question, like how come it seems like all the shit comes out when shit like this goes down? And I'm glad we covered it too. And I, I have to say, if I had to pick the scariest smile... I would have to say the smiles and smile were scarier than these. Because they were probably real. (laughs) Yeah, because they were real. (laughs) Keep up with us and what we're doing. Follow us on Instagram at The Horrors Podcast. We like to post things there to keep you updated on what's coming. We like to put polls sometimes to see what you want to hear about. Or if you want to just email us to get in touch, you can email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're The Horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.